Okay. Okie dokie. So. It's raining like cats and dogs. It is. It is. It's, it is some warm sit by the fire. Well, not warm, but it's sit by the fire weather. And it has been giving me blue balls all day with the stormy. Blue balls. Yeah, dude. The stormy weather out here. It has been ridiculous. It was windy earlier today. So fun fact. So how is this giving you blue balls in the sense of I wanted it to rain all day? Sure. Yeah. And then it didn't until about seven. Okay, that's fair. I see what you're saying. Yes. Right. And it seemed like it was going to rain all day and it didn't until about seven. But I'm actually kind of thankful that it didn't rain until about seven because we have developed a new strategy to our grocery shopping. (laughs) Okay. If anybody has ever been to Costco on a Saturday or a Sunday afternoon. The worst. It is the worst. It is a nightmare. Everybody is freaking out because they can't get to their delicious samples or their food (laughs) or fucking whatever. The the, people turn into animals. The the knockoff Einstein bagels, which are still licensed by Einstein, but it's not the same recipe. Let's stop lying to ourselves. And it's just not baked fresh, like right there. It's still Einstein's, technically. 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 Finger quotes. I discount Einstein's. Anyway. This is an audio format, so you can't see my finger quotes, so I'm just telling you all about it. There you go. There you go. Finger quotes. Woo! That was bad. We have decided that we are only exclusively going to do our Costco shopping on Monday nights. Monday nights. And it is... Okay, that's fair. It is the most... Nobody wants to go to Costco on Monday. It is the most peaceful Costco experience ever nobody's there you can ask everybody questions there's not a bunch of anxiety about waiting in line it's fantastic so legitimately as we unloaded the last load from the car of costco it just started torrential downpouring and it was wonderful at the timing and the the logistical because you got everything in the car exactly ready to rock exactly but when you got home and you took those groceries out, was it like a mad dash to get to that front door? Not necessarily, because it hadn't started raining yet. We just so we, okay, so you just beat a nice, the storm. Yes, dude, it was just a nice leisurely nice. pace, and it was honestly really, really impressive. And you know what else is impressive? I was about to say, you know what else is impressive? The fact that we've talked for now a total of over three minutes about Costco logistics. Nothing, Costco logistics. But what is impressive is the album we're reviewing today. What is that album, Lucas? I guess we're going to find out. On today, with a decade under the influence. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of A Decade Under the Influence. Today, we're going to be talking about Run That Shit! Boom. And welcome to the newest episode of A Decade Under the Influence, A Decade Rewind. I am your host, Lucas Larry Ross. That over there is Jake Lawrence. And what we up? are talking about talking heads today. We are the talking heads today. We sure are. We sure We're are. Not. No. We're not. Okay. Well. They are. Okay. No. And I, they always will be. I, of course. You know? Of course. Of course. David Some Byrne and is, Co. Is, 
forever burned in to society. I see what you did there, and I Man. like it. What I'm saying is, is that if someone were to close their eyes and listen to us talk about this album, they could envision our heads while staring at our wonderful album art, and we would be talking heads if discussing... If I could learn... If I could learn animation... Dude. I would make the fucking best YouTube videos of us talking with these, you know, with our audio, but our little heads would be talking, you know what I mean? Oh my God. And what would be really fantastic... But I'm not learning it. Well, I'm not. No, it's of not course happening. not. No, no, that would be a pain in the ass. But what would be really fantastic would be our heads doing completely outlandish shit while we were talking about albums. Like at some point the eyes go like fucking full Ed, whatever his name is. And they're all kind of, yeah. Or like when, you know, the, the like old school animation where it would just be like the single picture of your face. And then just like the chin area would move when you would talk <laughs> kind of like Saddam Hussein in the South park movie. Um, like a lot of things in South park in general, exactly. Mel Gibson. Yeah. Mel Gibson, all of those. And then it's just our animated bodies, like, rioting. The point here, folks, is that today we're talking about the talking heads. It's actually just talking heads. And we're talking about... Oh, sorry. Talking heads. Remain not in the light. talking heads. Fucking the forgive me, world. You should not be forgiven. Anyway, we are talking <laughs> about Remain in Light by the Talking Heads. It's the 1980 album recorded by Talking Heads, and produced by Sire Records. This is technically um, their fourth studio album, and it is possibly kind of the culmination of all of the other things that they were trying to do with uh, kind of the uh, a bunch of new influences thrown into it. That being said, this album is, in my personal opinion, and in the opinion of many other people, uh, their most critically acclaimed and most widely revered album of their entire discography so far. Now, if you don't know who the Talking Heads are, or Talking Heads, um, if you don't know who they are, then you probably do know who they are. It's just that you don't know necessarily that the songs that you know. You just you don't know that the days go by. You know exactly. No, uh, everybody has heard Psycho Killer. Run, 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 run. Run, run, run away. That's the Johnny Cash cover. So that is. So that is Talking Heads. And everybody kind of knows that song, at least to a certain degree. Uh, what a lot of people don't know about Talking Heads is just how revolutionary and experimental and interesting and fucking weird Talking Heads were for the time that they came out. You got to think about. I mean, even if you look at the album art for this specific album, absolutely, it's pretty fucking weird, man. It's out there, and even so, for the eighties, exactly I mean, for eighty for nineteen eighty. And so, actually, fun fact about that album art: uh, the uh, two. Uh, members of the band, uh, Tino Weymouth and Jerry Harrison, they actually came up with the album art idea, and then they set it to an assignment um, at a, a local, uh, I think, like community art school, um, like a like a like an art college, 
um, and they made it an assignment for uh, individuals to try to make it kind of abstract and weird and all sorts of stuff. And they just picked this one, um, which is really fucking cool. I very, very, very much like the way that this album art looks. Now, Talking Heads. All right. Talking Heads were a New York based art rock pump punk and funk band formed in 1975 by David Byrne, Chris France, Tina Weymouth and Jerry Harrison. Okay. Uh, Talking Heads pioneered kind of this new wave sound, right? New wave, for those of you who don't know, is kind of like rock music that involves a lot of like synths, electronic, little bits of dance, things like that. There are tons... It's music that is coming back in a very real way. Right now. Right now. It's like a revivalist time for new wave. Exactly. Now, real quick, let me say, this is an album that I've listened to in its entirety a total of once. So I don't know a whole lot. So I'm kind of going in blind with those of you who probably haven't listened to this entire album. Uh, so we'll have that fun little, you know, that fun little You'll learn with everybody thing else. in common. Yeah, I'm, I'm learning with everybody. So let's, uh, let's listen to uh, Professor Lucas here about Remaining Light. Fuck yeah. So um, essentially... You know, Talking Heads, they kind of uh, were uh, doing a bunch of different things. Um, They kind of were more of an underground, at least at the time, uh, for their first uh, three albums, a little bit more underground. And they experimented with a lot of punk and funk and things of that nature, right? Oftentimes, with David Byrne having some really um, intense vocal melodies, uh, lyrics, uh, vocal deliveries, things like that. And not necessarily intense in the way that we necessarily find on this album, but intense of like psycho killer, uh, where he kind of just steals the show. So this album, that being said, there's a couple moments on this album. Yes. I've only listened to it once, but there's some moments on this album where the intensity definitely drives up to a point of jarring absolutely right like 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 where he just keeps on going and you're not really 100 percent sure what's going on and i think that confusion is far more intense than even something uh that which of the likes of psycho killer do you hear that you know i did that nice little i like that, that which of the likes of you know yes i don't even know that's the right thing to say but there are definitely moments on this album where i'm like oh Okay, you're literally going off in a tizzy and I'm confused. 100%. And that's 100% intentional. So, this album was almost kind of considered a challenge by Talking Heads. Um, basically, they took a... Uh, uh, after this album, they took a very, very long hiatus. But this album was kind of a response to their popularity and the type of music that they were making and things like that. So, they kind of sequestered themselves a little bit um, down in the Bahamas. And really what they did is they got away from David Byrne in the sense of everybody was kind of perceiving Talking Heads to just be David Byrne and the band behind him. Whereas the rest of the band was like, hey, we want to be able to make music that is going to not only highlight the instrumentals, but also really highlight what David Byrne is doing. Um, and so they went off. So real quick, just a point of confusion for me right now is, is Talking Heads David Byrne and co, or is Talking Heads a band of 
folks together making music together. Right now, um, because of this album, Talking Heads is a collective of four people that came together and wrote this music. And really, it's technically five, but we will get into that in just okay. a second. Okay, for sure. I just wanted that clarity totally. of like... Because it's confusing. They're all in the Bahamas, except for David Byrne. But David Byrne's like the absolutely head honcho. And you so know what I mean? that's that. That's kind of the entire thing about it. In that you know, David, they would always just kind of sit around and wait for David Byrne to kind of bring them lyrics or songs or whatever, and then they would just play the parts that they needed to, and then they would go home. Right. Whereas they really kind of wanted to have a, a, a more significant hand in creating a collaborative something. effort exactly. as opposed to. Oh, we're your backup band. Not backup band, but we're the... Essentially, yeah. Filler. Essentially. We, we make this stuff. So, than- Talking Heads made uh, Remain in Light, uh, as well as, you know, seven other studio albums before they unfortunately disbanded in 1991. They came back together in 1996, as well as 2002. Um, but that's kind of been about it. Um, now, this album in particular is the third album that they recorded with a man named Brian Eno. Brian Eno is known for experimental music and really kind of shifting sounds of artists away from their kind of uh, initial sound or what is perceived to be their initial sound. Basically, the way that Brian Eno is kind of talked about is that if you were an actor and you were known as big, chubby, funny man, Right. Not necessarily you, Jake, but just anybody. Right. (laughs) As big, chubby, funny man, you would go to a Brian Eno type and be like, hey, I want to be an action star. Right. I don't want to be reinvented. I want to be reinvented completely. It's not that you are eliminating the chubby, funny man. It's that you are adapting the chubby, funny man to be played into this new type of dynamic. And that's exactly what Brian Eno has it's like done. Um, Miley Cyrus's producer or manager who then went on to manage Katy Perry, who then also very, very coincidentally lost her shit quotes, finger quotes right now. It's similar in that way of like, Hey, I'm here to help you reinvent yourselves a little bit. Kind and, of or like not even yourselves, but like you the worst. Music. We're trying to make something new, not what you're known for necessarily. Exactly. And so he's known for these like risk-taking, cutting-edge types of music and development, right? Uh, Just to give you kind of a little bit of an idea of what the the kind of stuff that he has done, he's brought new and different styles to bands like uh, U2, Talking Heads, David Bowie, Devo, Genesis, and even more recently, uh, James Blake and Damon Albarn of Gorillaz fame, um, as well as tons of other bands, right? Um, so he's still a pretty prevalent name in the industry. In absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he also uh, has been inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame because of his work with Roxy Music. Um, he is a big music name. Now, him and David Byrne uh, had been collaborating for a long time, and actually right after this album was released, um, they solely collaborated on David Byrne's uh, solo project. Um, but this album is really kind of a an, an element of the four members of Talking Heads and 
Brian Eno and his kind of contributions to the entire thing. The reason so he's why the fifth man. Exactly. The reason why Remain in Light sounds the way that it does right now is because of Brian Eno coming in and showing them uh, the first day that he was there, he was like, look, I got an idea. This will really, really work with what you guys are trying to do. Check it out. And he showed them an Afrobeat sound that this album is absolutely known for, right? And he showed them Fela Kuti's entire discography, okay? Now, Fela Kuti is an Afrobeat artist. He's a Nigerian artist. Um, and this is kind of where a lot, especially the percussion, uh, where a lot of it kind of comes from, right? There's this notion of polyrhythms uh, that are incorporated very, very heavily throughout this album and then throughout a lot of later Talking Heads music. Um, and what a polyrhythm is, is it's essentially taking um, a rhythm, a percussive rhythm um, with a specific time signature and then placing another rhythm on top of that time signature that is different. So for those of you who don't know music theory, this isn't necessarily something they get totally caught up on, but what it does is, is it creates this type of syncopation that ultimately resolves into a type of rhythm that wouldn't necessarily traditionally work on written musical paper, right? Um, for those of you who are into musical theory, imagine having something in 2-2 being placed on something that is in 6-8. Um, that is the type of sound. Um, well, that's just ludicrous. Of course. Oh, wow. Dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. Oh my God. But ultimately, that's what a polyrhythm is. Um, and we can see just endless amounts of polyrhythms in not only the instrumentation, um, just like the, the actual music uh, outside of the percussion, but then the percussion as well as the kind of Seinfeld-esque bass guitar slaps that ultimately uh, highlight those individual percussive sounds, right? And that's something I noticed as soon as the album started, that now that you've brought it up, is this album started on some very, like, I'm about to step in to a sitcom Absolutely. sound. Absolutely. Or like a private detective show. 100%. Or, you know, something like that. Like, very, like, Dancy, something gets stuck in your head, the the slappy <laughs> bass, like whatever the <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then okay, so uh, just so that everybody uh kind of knows, um, Jake is talking about the track Born Under Punches. Okay. Born Under Punches is an incredible song. Um, and basically it is the best highlight of these types of polyrhythms I believe to be on the album. It's incredibly groovy. It's incredibly funky. There's a lot of disco. Um, and legitimately, the way that the bass guitar kind of slaps in there, it does kind of sound like a much less obnoxious, much more planned out form of a Seinfeld uh, transition, right? Now, uh, this track in and of itself, I mean, I could I could talk about this track forever, but there is a specific thing about every single song on this album where, and I've talked about this kind of before, the experimental uh, aspect of uh, just music in general, but I love this type of 
layering. And I don't necessarily know what term it is, but it's a type of layering where you will start with a specific sound and then um, like whether it be percussion or uh, bass or percussion and bass together, um, and you kind of get used to that kind of idea. You kind of get a groove going with that idea. And then you uh, layer in a different type of instrument, and it completely changes the way that your ears hear the original noise, right? The original sound. And there's a specific moment in this track when the uh, percussion and the bass line has been established. And then there is this very, very high-pitched, I believe it's a guitar, um, it's either a guitar or a piano, uh, that kind of comes through, and then... And it's just super duper quick, but it really kind of changes the way that the rhythm, the pulsing of the beat uh, kind of adapts in your mind. And, you know, we've already kind of talked about LCD sound system. Uh, I mean, we have. We've done an episode on LCD sound system. Certainly influenced by Talking Heads. Certainly influenced by Talking Heads. I mean, this was absolutely revolutionary for the time. Absolutely mind-blowing. Like they, oh, yeah. They I were, mean, you think of this 1980. Exactly. Like this dude, sound. Like Michael Jackson, Olivia really Newton-John. Like, sticks were doing shit. Like, this is not of the same kind of camp as a lot of those things, right? And and it's revolutionary. It's very in, alternative. Absolutely. It's very revolutionary, even in the fact that the way that it was recorded, right? It was recorded almost completely digitally. And uh, Tina Wayworth and Jerry Harrison, they actually uh, realized what was happening with hip hop. And they were like, hey, I mean, all that they're having to do is find just a little instrumental, finding it, and then looping it, and then they rap on top of it right? That's just what happens. So what they would oftentimes do is they would take a specific percussion beat, uh, a specific uh, uh, guitar, a specific something, and then they would loop it, layer it, cut it up, and do all sorts of things. Things that now we can do with FL Studio or Ableton. I mean, we've been Logic. over this in the past. Absolutely. so much. But... For 1980, specifically with this type of punk, rock, new wave music, it was extremely interesting. And that type of adaptation that they kind of find in the same way with LCD sound system, where a specific percussive note or a specific melody uh, will then be adapted into something that's 13 minutes long and overblown and uh, into something that totally sounds completely different and overzealous at the end they are able to do in two minutes, 45 seconds. Right. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it's really, really fantastic. I mean, even just talking about uh, the born under uh, born under punches. I mean, it's, it's super funky, but yet it's kind of unsettling and kind of it's like, eerie. yeah, yeah that's what it's kind say. of like Very clunky eerie. and like, I don't know, but for some reason it makes you want to move. Like it just gives you that kind of like, Oh, Oh fuck. And it gives you that stank face that you just know that you have to physically gyrate to, right? Oh, oh, fuck. oh fuck. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, and so as the song kind of progresses, it adapts into this much more kind of like lullaby-ness at the very, very end, right? With Burn and the rest of the band doing this kind of like crowd vocal, goes on, yeah, he goes on. And the way that it works with 
the rest of the instrumental is something that you would never perceive to happen at the beginning of the track. That kind of mm-hmm. gets us to David Byrne's kind of vocal delivery on this album and just kind of in general, right? I it's mean, wacky. It's super wacky. The, the way that he is on this album is a direct departure from the way that he is on the previous albums in the sense of he is totally scatterbrained. Totally scared. Like he has this wild vocal delivery and not necessarily wild in the sense of uh, like he's screaming or like a, you know, like a modest mouse or anything like that. But wild in the sense of like his timing is weird. Some of it sounds a little spoken word. Uh, Some of it uh, has a very, very intense melody to it. And then other parts of it just seems like he's just preaching at you. And it's kind of interesting. And so well, it, it kind of comes out it, like a stream of consciousness. What I would say, it, it, does this is this kind of a hefty influence from Eno, right? Like, is that like a thing that you'd say was kind of founded through Eno as opposed to Burn himself? To me, what I think it is, is that it is, because we'll get into a little bit about how this album was recorded. Um, what I think that it is, is that it was the rest of the band coming in and actually we'll just get into it now. The rest of the band came into the studio and they were just improvising. So they would improvise and they would improvise with the, with the other three members and they would just do all of these, uh, random things, whether it be percussion, whether it be bass, guitar, whatever. Um, and then ultimately that's how they would adapt the beats. Um, and Eno would just record these little improv sessions and be like, Ooh, that is what we should be making this song off of that little 30 second clip. Remember what you did there. And then David Byrne would go in and be like, okay, how can my vocals become an instrument in the layering of this track rather than, okay, how can these instruments back up my vocals? So the way that this entire thing kind of comes out is a much more, I guess, um, cohesive ensemble of sounds rather than uh, just a frontman lead vocalist and instrumentation behind him. This is, you know, another, you know, me, Jake, you and I were kind of talking about, uh, you know why I like this album and you know why I like this band because it's kind of weird and it's kind uh, of out there and sometimes sometimes off-putting sometimes a little goofy out there whatever um and I'm gonna bring them up but you know swans do this very very well in the sense of they have these types of sounds that can be adapted and it's never a situation where you feel as though wait wait guys guys we're at 28 minutes and that is the first time that Lucas brought up either swans or death grips. Let's give him a round of applause. Thank you. Thank you. I very much appreciate I'm, it. I'm proud of you. you I would you, like to thank you. You were the able to hold it back for so long. I would like I to was, thank I was waiting for this entire episode to not hear about either swans or death grips. But you know what? You're getting there, bud. I am getting there. Well, Death Grips don't necessarily apply. I mean, if we wanted to talk about the experimentation of the album during the time, we're not doing that. All sorts of things. Get back to it. I just wanted to take a moment to be a snarky asshole and say, "We did it." Good on you, bud. We got him. We got him. So David Byrne used his vocals and himself as a 
instrument uh, that just layered in perfectly with the rest of the ensemble. Um, and, you know, we kind of hear this a little bit more uh, on uh, lines and shapes, or no, 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 on, on, on cross-eyed and painless, um, in the sense of, like, David Byrne is just kind of rambling about, like, just lines and shapes and weird things and that's kind of it um but he rambles a lot i feel but i feel like it's it's controlled absolutely like he's obviously there's intention behind his kind of literal ramblings of a madman but i think that that's the entire point is it's kind of there to be off-putting especially for the time like we have said time and time again um the these sort of rambles and these sort of weird off-putting moments in the album that happen fairly often um there's definitely intention behind them it's not just like oh we're experimenting like there's definitely Absolutely. it's it's there to create uh i guess a sense of unease like a, a sense of eeriness that isn't necessarily uh known at this time well right? like obviously it- there were bands that were making heavier music and stuff that's even a little bit more experimental, but nobody was really going for this straight up like, oh shit, I'm like, I'm feeling some kind of way right now. Yeah, like I'm in this motherfucker. uh, Yeah, about the way that he's either preaching, spoken wording, or just straight up fucking babbling on. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, like, uh, I'll get to the next track uh, in a little bit, uh, which is, uh, Once in a Lifetime, it's my favorite track on the album. It's fr- frankly my favorite Talking Heads track. But I mean, if we kind of want to keep with this, uh, you know, Houses in Motion is kind of a similar type of thing in the sense of, you know, David Byrne uh, has like these dark and introspective verses and he has a kind of like shrill, uh, almost like screamed uh, kind of chorus. Right. And, and the way that he is able to deliver it is that it's like kind of a conversation with himself in the sense of he could be saying something up here and then saying something down here. And it would be like a whole thing. Right. And, and, it, and he creates this kind of uh, schizophrenic, schizophrenic presence. kind of idea. And I don't necessarily think that he's trying to, you know, talk about mental illness or talk about anything. Oh, like no, that. not at all. But I think that that. He's using that as a tool for sure. I mean, yes, he is using know, it as a tool to kind of complement the instrumentation that is backing him. Everything right? obviously is left up to interpretation. There, of there's course. no point where he was like, oh yeah, that's why I did this. Of course. You know what I and, mean? And I mean, the instrumental on this track is just so fucking cool because the way that they are able to weave in slight little sounds, right? Uh, especially in, uh, not during the chorus, but during the verses, they have like these interesting i think that they're horns but they sound as though they're muted to create a little bit of like a weird synthesizer kind of sound um that is syncopated against uh the rest of the instrumental and i just think it's just expertly fucking crafted especially then in the later half there are like these kind of dissonant and shrill violin notes that only exist for maybe i don't know 10 or 15 seconds um but it really just kind of pulls you into this uh, way of like, holy fuck, where did that come from, right? And I mean, this this whole kind of idea uh, about 
this kind of experimentation and the way that, you know, they just kind of make you feel uncomfortable with the way that it sounds. It doesn't really stop, right? On on uh, Listening Wind, uh, it sounds like a Genesis song's worst nightmare, right? It's <laughs> It's like stripped back and like super haunting, and it creates a very unique juxtaposition. I said juxtaposition between Born Under Punches, which is like this crazy... Uh, immersive, complex instrumental that ultimately uh, culminates into this huge thing, into this very stripped back uh, kind of absent sound of listening wind. And, you know, if we really kind of wanted to talk about uh, that type of depressing and a little bit uh, downward uh, path, then uh, the overload, the closing track, it's like dystopian, dude. Oh, it's straight like, up dystopian. I, that was... You know, I was listening to this whilst doing work, right? Of course. Thank you. Um, but this one, this particular track literally stood out to me from the rest of the album. Like it actually made itself known. And I was like, okay, I got to stop for a second and kind of give this a second. Because it goes from, um, you know, uh, a very crazed and sort of like intense and and not happy but not sad but dancey vibe to like a straight up dystopian like oh okay i woke up and like the fucking acid wore off absolutely you know what i mean now i'm and, like feeling i don't know where i am and well and I so jump off a cliff and <laughs> so this I mean? kind of brings us to uh once in a lifetime in the sense of once in a lifetime is so fucking incredible because it's just kind of david byrne saying things to you, right? Just kind of commenting about things that happen in life, right? Um, such as the movement of time, right? In the sense of like, hey, uh, when you just find yourself uh, in, a, in a gorgeous house with a beautiful wife behind your dream car, and you're just wondering like, hey, how the fuck did I get here? Um, and then the chorus is, you know, when the days go by, uh, you know, let the water uh, hold me down. Like it's, it's, it, it's a situation where, you know, that, that current of water is kind of propelling you through life and there's quite literally nothing that you can do about it. Which brings me to my interpretation of the album. Now, this may be a situation where everybody's going to hear this and they're going to be like, you're so fucking full of shit and you don't know what you're talking about. Or, or gonna they're going to be, be delicious. Or they're going to be like, Dude, we've known this for years. Fuck off. I did not research this. Why are they this. both I... negative responsive? Why can't the audience possibly be like, wow, that's insightful? Well, they can do that as well. Either, okay? either you're full of shit or we already knew that, you fucking idiot. Well, true. So, I believe that this entire album is an allegory of human life. In oh, the you're sense so of, full of shit. In the sense of that... Each individual song represents kind of a chapter um, in uh, a human life, right? Born Under Punches, right? It's a song very much about oppression and uh, kind of like feeling down and, and, and feeling as though um, you uh, can't necessarily do anything about anything, right? Um, and then... You know what I mean? It has this type of uh, positive resolution to it, and it has a little bit of like hope to it, right? Uh, you know, it goes on and the heat goes on, right? Meaning that we are the heat and we will keep persevering and there is a little bit of hope there. 
You know, mm-hmm. cross-eyed and painless is a little bit more about uh, naivety, right? Uh, a little bit more, uh, you know, giving in to that hope. The Great Curve is a much more danceable type of uh, uh, melancholiness, right? And then Once in a Lifetime is about middle-aged. It's about, hey, you're halfway fucking done. It is halfway in the middle of the album. It is track four on an eight-track album. Um And then they're like, hey, you're halfway done. This is how it's going to be. Uh, You don't necessarily know how you got here because time is just rushing by. Houses in Motion is a little bit past middle age. Uh, Seen and Not Seen is about being forgotten as you age. Listening Wind is about the boredom that just kind of comes with, you know, all of your friends dying and your kids not wanting to see you anymore. And then ultimately the overload is actually dying with the dystopian and kind of somber uh, sound that it kind of delivers. And now I may be pulling all of that shit. Out wait, of my wait, 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 We already knew that you fucking idiot. See, get you a man that can do both. <laughs> no, no, I, I, okay. I can absolutely see that. And, and I am one to literally find the smallest thing that you say and pick it to pieces and be like, no, you're fucking wrong. But this one makes sense to me. This one really does because the way that this album is paced, you know, uh, it, it is very, very like happy and punchy and just kind of like ready to rock and roll. And when it gets to the middle age, it turns into a, you know, everything you see in the movies, the moments that that specific song is even played over. Right. Exactly. Um, and then by the end, you know, they have certainly a, um, a darker ideal of what death is, but I could certainly see that being the thing. It makes sense, right? Like the, the, the entire idea of it makes sense. I feel like this band in general is not known for just let's throw an album together and fucking call it a day. They don't call this a concept album by any means. Well, and to be completely honest, I don't think that it is. I don't think that, you know, talking heads went into the album of like, Hey, let's make an album about, uh, childhood and then middle age and then death. I don't think that, that is what happened by any structure of the imagination. What I do think though. So is then that- what, what, yeah, what come, what made you come to that realization? Because I feel like there has to be a certain amount of them knowing, right? Like for I it think- to all put be for it to all work together. So like seamlessly Absolutely. in the way that you've just said, I don't think that they would have been able to, throw a bunch of songs together and be like, oh yeah, look, that all just kind of worked. Oh yeah, that just kind of worked. No, but what I think is that the way that this album is kind of performed as an ensemble is that the rest of the three members and Brian Eno kind of came together and they made the album. Obviously, there was uh, a lot of musical influence from David Byrne, but I don't necessarily think that they crafted the instrumentals to match a specific type of narrative. And I think that David Byrne then went in and created sporadic, scatterbrained uh, types of spoken word messages that he then uh, was able to craft a very hinted at narrative uh, to ultimately create that type of feeling in the album. Right. Yeah. Um, and I'm not necessarily even saying the notes that he sings or anything like that. I just think that the way that the vocals are delivered and that it's such a part of the picture, right, is that 
he didn't necessarily want it to be a situation where he is just laying out an entire storyline and everyone else is just going to be the pages that it's written on. Right? Well, and to he, get even deeper into that thought, you know, one of my things on this album is he's a little weird with the way he says things, but I feel the moments that he's kind of the weirdest are in those adolescent moments, right? The moments where say the, the album would be going through puberty, have the most kind of, uh, chaotic and sort of like strewn about bits by him, right? Whereas when you get on to your favorite song, and I've already forgotten the title of it, but you know, once in a lifetime, once in a lifetime, that I feel on this album is the most cohesive and like well put together, uh, vocally and instrumentally. And if this allegory that you kind of have envisioned or have kind of um, thought up were, is true. That would be a very, very strong and evident point to that because you're middle-aged. I mean, that's kind of like, you, you know what's going on in your life. You know, you're, you're not too young to be like, well, what's life about? You're not too old to be like, life fucking sucks. Totally. You're basically at a point of like, okay, well, like I have a beautiful house beautiful wife. I'm not hundred percent sure how I got here, but I'm asking this myself this question because I'm level headed enough to do so. Exactly. And in this and song, he delivers vocals in the most level headed way that I'd say like for the rest of the album after that, it gets a lot more desolate and a lot more sad. Absolutely. And for the album before that, it's very chaotic, very punchy and very like strange. Because as an adolescent, as a child, you have no idea what the fuck you're doing. Exactly. Right? And, and you're so just kind of screaming at yourself. Exactly. And so the way that those instrumentals kind of reflect that in that the listener is just kind of like, where the fuck are they going with this? These sporadic kind of ensemble tracks. And then once in a lifetime, it all kind of comes together in the sense of those polyrhythms, that Afro beat, uh, the, uh, ultimately the rest of the instrumentation and then the vocals on top of it. It's like, Hey, we still kind of don't know what the fuck we're doing, but at least we're, we're we got it put together enough but to we're make at this peace with it. Exactly. Right. And, and really that's what I think this album is so influential. And this album is so good is because it is able to be read into in that type of fashion. And it was able to be so experimental, um, in 1980 that even now, even today in 2019, we are able to listen to it and be like, you know, a lot of stuff still doesn't exist like this right you listen to a lot of music that came out in 1980 and you're like oh this is absolutely 100% an 80s band an 80s song an 80s album right but if you listen to this this could have come out a month ago and it would still sound relatively fresh relatively new and and like something that you necessarily hadn't heard before it has a timeless quality exactly and that's why we wanted to put it on a decade rewind um and ultimately you know, if you don't know who Talking Heads are, if you have never heard this album, then please go do that. It's fantastic. I mean, Jake listened to it for the first time today, and you can absolutely appreciate why I wanted to talk about it. Absolutely. I mean, it's polarizing, for sure. You know, like I said, first time listening to the entire thing today, so my opinion is going to be vastly different. Uh, I still I like it. I, I think it's really, really good. Um, but I also can see 
it not necessarily being something you'll just glom onto, right? Absolutely. Like it's something that, you know, it is very polarizing and it's very aggressive and it almost attacks you in a way. Um, but that also is kind of what makes it revolutionary what it and what makes it good. Exactly. So please go listen to this thing. Uh, you know, uh, Talking Heads, Remain in Light. It's my favorite Talking Heads record. Um, and I, I own two copies of it on vinyl cause I'm a big old nerd and it is just so good. So please go listen to it. Uh, as always, you can find us, uh, on all sorts of social media. Um, I am at slaughter pops on Instagram. I am at L R N T Z N as in Nancy T as in tiger Z as in zebra dot period, whatever. J-P-G. And, of course, we are at a decade un-3-R. Um, <laughs> it's, a lot, it's a lot harder to kind of It's a lot harder on. to kind of... We have of, a fairly uh, long show name. Uh, yeah, we, we, we do. It's, it's at a decade U-N-D-3-R. Um, and un-3-er. Un-3-er, whatever. Uh, and, of course, you can find us on Spotify, Apple Music, Stitcher, uh, all of those fantastic uh, services. And, you know, please go listen to this thing. Uh, please tell all of your friends about Talking Heads, about this podcast, about anything. We've got a lot of really fantastic stuff planned for you in the next couple of weeks. We are almost done with 2010, <laughs> and we are going to hop into 2011. Which is going to uh, be a great time. Which is going to be is. a great time, because uh, there is some fantastic music that came out that year. And real quick, uh, if you can, go rate us on iTunes five stars preferably um because it does really help if you it like helps. us if you it, like it, us well, you it, know. even if you don't just throw us five stars if you throw us fucking four i'm gonna be pissed Hell all right yeah. just leave it if you're gonna go there with the intention to give us four stars like go fuck yourself i'm just kidding um but it really does help uh it helps uh get our podcast kind of into wider circles uh more people can see it more people can then listen and then we can just kind of grow this whole thing as a community absolutely and, uh, yeah so uh if you want to hear more of my talking uh go ahead and listen to my podcast i hope this doesn't suck uh it's available literally everywhere i don't have an instagram or anything for that but um I basically just interview people, talk about life, a lot about photo and video. So if that's your bag, go ahead and uh, hop on over, check it out. And yeah, we've got some really, really exciting stuff, like super stoked for the future. Um, apologies for not being on the most recent episode, but I hope that uh, Lucas and Grant were kind of, you know, good for you. I'm not a huge Kanye fan, so it just would have been me trolling the whole time anyway. <laughs> um, plus I was having some, I was having some, uh, some issues, you know, mainly not feeling very good. So of there course. you go. Um, but yeah, folks, please, please tell all your friends about this podcast. Make like, damn sure. Make damn sure to tell all your friends. We can't get, I, I can't thank you all enough for listening. Seriously, I sincerely pre appreciate it. We want to give another shout out to the boy Rico Absolutely. for making our tasty jam of an intro and outro. And uh, I think that's all I've got. I, I I think that that's really it too. Ooh, one thing that I did want to say. Hi, mom. Uh, um, is that uh, if any of you uh, actually want to hear us talk about albums or anything like that, um, shoot us a DM. 
uh, on Instagram. Uh, you know, we do do a, a decade under currently. Um, we do do. Don't know how you do the do do that you do. Um, so uh, we do more like poop. Well, I was also, um, but we uh, are always looking for new artists, uh, new bands to talk yes, about. Yes, please. Um, super, super cool to hear new stuff. We would love to hear your input. If you have an album you really, really want us to check out, uh, send it our way. Don't expect us to love it. We might. We might we not. Might. Absolutely. Um, but, you know, chances are we'll respond to you because, I mean, we don't have very much else to do in life. Um, but there you go. There you go. I think that we're out. Thank you guys so much. Peace.